Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to 10 People's Favorite Podcast, where two longtime gal pals take whining very seriously when talking about badass babes that you've probably never heard of. Welcome to Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. And I'm Kelly. And are you ready to get tipsy? Because that's what we're doing. (laughs) So before we get started, uh, we're doing round two of our new Say Their Name segment where we call out badass gals that uh, are existing in current day and need to be recognized. This week, we're giving a big shout out to a lady who we forgot to give a shout out to last week. because our bad. It happened last week. (laughs) I didn't write it down in my notes, so I didn't say it. (laughs) <laughs> which is my fault. Um, so big shout out to Katie Bowman, who for has helped us see a black hole. black hole. Yeah, that that's amazing. The first picture of a black hole. And so in case you haven't, you're not aware, we saw the first black, we saw the first picture of a black hole ever. And it was a huge combined effort from teams all across the world. And they all wrote different algorithms and like basically turned the earth into a giant telescope and the algorithms pulled together all the pictures to compile the final picture that we saw. And Katie Bowman was uh, a critical member of her team, and she really helped write the algorithm. Yeah, for her section. For her section. And I mean, we we need more women in STEM, and we need to recognize the women in STEM. Yes. So big shout out, Katie. You go, girl. Right. Amazing work. So thank you. I... It was so sweet because my boyfriend's really into science. And so he was really excited. He's like, have you heard about this? Like, <laughs> we're going to see a black hole for the first time ever. And then I was reading an article about Katie and I was yeah. like, oh, honey, listen to this. He's like, I just finished watching her TED Talk. So we got to like bond over <laughs> it. It was really awesome. neat. So Katie, cheers to you. Clink. And we're drinking out of um, some plastic wine glasses tonight. So Kate, or I almost called you Katie. Yay. Kelly and I are big fans of the podcast Wine and Crime, partially because it's about true crime, also because they're from Minnesota and they use their Minnesota accents. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oof, duh. (laughs) Oli and Lena's favorite podcast. Yeah. So, um... For Kelly's birthday, I got her one of their pieces of merchandise, a plastic wine glass that says fucking patriarchy in Mm -hmm. like gorgeous gold script. And then Kelly, as one of their Patreon supporters, she got a glass. So now we both can have a glass when I'm over here. I just felt that was very appropriate this evening. Yes. So the wine that we're enjoying tonight was my pick. And uh, I took a lot of time picking out this wine from the discount bin right next to the <laughs> checkout at the liquor store. <laughs> she really cares, guys. Oh, yeah. So I picked out uh, Lost Angel California Moscato 2016. Big Moscato fan. Yes. This Moscato is very different, though, because it's it's very acidic. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit more of, like, a punch to it than most Moscatos. Most Moscatos are pretty mellow and sweet. While this one is still sweet, you can definitely feel a little bit more bite from the acid. And it's fantastic. So I'm going to read the back here. Uh, Their tagline, by the way, is 
naughty wines for naughty times. Oh, mm. I like that. I'm I'm a fan. Yeah. This, this wine makes me feel very sexy. Yeah. It perfectly describes us. <laughs> All right. So, Lost wine, Lost Angels wines, already fucking this up, are for people who appreciate bold, edgy, and inconglastic. They are as different and exciting as you'd like to be. As the old saying goes, if you only live once, make it count. If you live more than once, then who the hell cares? At first, you might think our Moscato is a total sweetie, but it has enough acidity to keep you on your toes, full of floral aromas and flavors of orange peel, violets, and honey. I mean, it's a good wine. I wish this bottle was describing me like, (laughs) you think it's sweet, but it's so acidic, it's going to punch you right in the teeth. (laughs) (laughs) So... We're going to, where are we cheersing to today? This is the part I'm really bad at. I never think of anything. Spring. Spring has come to Minnesota. It's like 65 and sun, like clear and sunny out. It is a gorgeous day. So we're cheersing to spring. We had to open some windows. Fuck if third winter comes. I don't give a shit. Like, spring in Minnesota is a very big deal to us because 90% of our weather is shit. So that is so a the big days we cheers. can get outside and like do shit. It's a big deal. If you can open your windows, it's a good day. Right. Cheers. So cheers. Clink. You can't hear it. <laughs> you can't hear plastic it. glasses. Yeah, no, that's a that's an edgy Moscato. That's a good wine. That's a Moscato with a leather jacket with like metal spikes on the shoulders. Like tiny ones, but yeah. Like they're cute but threatening. Yeah, exactly. So Emily. You get to go first today. Oh, my God. <laughs> Panic. I really hate going first. But the, you know what? I was going to say, the thing is, I, like, really enjoy doing this podcast, and I always have fun when we record. But, yeah, like, whenever I have to go first, I'm like, I don't want to do this. So if you just really hate listening to me, skip to the 30-minute mark, and please listen to Kelly's story, because I'm sure her lady is amazing. Aw. So a you couple... too of... much confidence in me. <laughs> you know what? I need people to have confidence in me because I have none in myself. So then I give confidence to everyone else. Yeah. So when they're running on empty, don't believe in yourself. Believe in me. Who believes in you? <laughs> All right. So a couple of weeks ago, the Google Doodle was in honor of Hedwig Cohn. And we gave her like a little quick shout out. And we were going to read about her. But the more I read, the more I was like, no. This gal deserves her own segment. Was that a couple of weeks ago or was that last week? It was a couple of weeks ago because her birthday was April 5th. Okay. And we were recording on the 19th. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to do her. I'm not going to put this off. (laughs) Yeah, you are. I was so intrigued by her. So today we are going to cover renowned physicist Hedwig Cohn. Ooh, we're both in like STEM-based girls. Hey, it's our synergy. Yeah. Shout out to Katie Bowman. Right. Shout out to Hedwig Cohn. And shout out to your science lady. Right? Like, and again, you have to remember, we don't talk about who we're doing before. And there is no like, oh, our episode's going to be about this. It's just, okay, we're both going to pick ladies and do this. And so any like symmetry is purely by chance. You know, they talk about people's periods syncing up. Our brains are synced up and our empowered womenry is synced up. Empowered yeah, Womenry? Empowered Womenry. Yes. W- w- womenry. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> the like, second E-N there. I said it, so it's a thing now. All right. 
Hedwig was born in Brislau, Germany, or modern-day Warclaw, Poland, to Jewish parents George and Helen. Casually sashing ahead to 1907. So she was born April 5th, 1887. And there really wasn't a lot on her childhood. Yeah. Okay. So was, I'm guessing it was like, oh, it was a ba- it was a normal childhood. Like yeah. she grew up. Nothing of note. She didn't like stop a bank robbery or anything. Okay. She was saving it because yeah. she becomes a badass. So casually sashing ahead to 1907 when she was 20, Hedwig entered Breslau University as an auditor a year before women were actually allowed to attend. That's cool. So technically, it's like I wonder how she did that. Well, because she wasn't a student, she was just auditing oh. classes. She's like, she's kind of like, and then just became interested in what she was auditing. I think she had the drive, but it's, if you can't be a student, well, I guess I'll audit and that's the next best thing. Right. Because then you can still kind of learn. Well, and lucky for her, the next year they did start allowing women to attend classes. So she did earn her doctorate in physics in 1913, becoming the second woman to do so. Nice. So very early she on. She was probably pretty close to the first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the other gal walked before her yeah. at graduation. Right. She's like one, two people in front of her. Like, God damn it! That was why am I not named something else? <laughs> that was Hedwig. That was Helen Kahn, K A. <laughs> in 1914, she was appointed as an assistant by her advisor Otto Loomer a physicist known for precision radiation measurements that contribute to Planck's law. This describes the spectral density of electromagnetic electromagnetic radiation emitted by a black body in thermal equilibrium at a given temperature. When there is no net flow of matter or energy between the body and its environment. Do you understand any of that? No, I, I understand. Fucking don't I know actually anything. understand some of it because I did take physics, but like some of it, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. There, smile and nod. Smile there's and nod. quite a bit of science stuff in this. I didn't understand any of it, but I know it's there still are people, interesting. I know yeah. there are people out there who would be interested and can appreciate it. So I'm just gonna read words, and the people who know it are gonna be like, oh yes, yes, and like stroke their chins wisely. Um, So she was trained by Otto Loomer in the quantitative determination of the intensity of light, both from broadband sources and from discrete emission lines of atoms and molecules. I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds sciencey as fuck. Her career would focus on radiation and spectroscopy. See those? Spectroscopy. 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 We're going to get there. We're going to get there. (laughs) Together we will get to the end. I can pronounce most of the names in the story. I cannot pronounce the science. (laughs) I can help. I like science. Thank you. I I can't believe you took fucking physics. Yeah. Because that sounds like a nightmare. I loved it. I I took theoretical physics too. And that class I fucking hated because I couldn't do any of the experiments. You just had to think about them. And I was terrible at that. Okay, so imagine Terrible. you're in a room, and then imagine you're simultaneously everywhere in that room, but nothing's actually touching. Just think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I can sit there and, like, do the experiments they're talking about, like, I get really into it, and I love it. But yeah, like, theoretical physics, like, I still think I got, like, a B, but it, like, kicked my ass. I would have dropped. I know. The professor would have never said, signed up. He would have said, welcome to theoretical physics. I would have been like, nope. <laughs> I walked into the wrong classroom, my bad. <laughs> Um, so throughout World War I, Hedwig taught and advised doctoral students despite only being in her 20s. 
I didn't read this, but I assume this was largely due to the fact that most of the men were off fighting and they needed fucking bodies. Right. Her efforts were recognized and she received a medal after the war. Yay. Which is really cool. And it's all going to be put in perspective very, very oh, yeah, soon. Sure. Right when you say war, it's like, oh, there's going to be some shit that happens. Yeah. Well, we're in Germany. In the She's war. Jewish. 1900s. Shit's going to get sad. In 1930, Hedwig earned habilitation. So this means she was now qualified to conduct teaching on her own and was a key step towards full professorship. So it's like, we're going to let you act like a professor to prove you can be a professor or something like that. Kind of like student teaching. Yeah. Probably. Like at the professor level. Yeah. So during this time, she guided the work of eight doctoral students. So she's, she's out there. She's working. She's getting it done. All right. I have lovingly titled my next section in all caps, Nazis Fuck Everything Up. Sounds accurate. Yes. In 1933, Hedwig was forced out of her position at the university for being Jewish. This was thanks to a newly passed Nazi law, the Law for the Restoration of the Professional Civil Service, passed only two months after Hitler rose to power. I think that was one of, like, the first big, like, acts of, oh, let's actually start, like, getting shit done, like, as in horrible, horrible shit, (laughs) pushing Jews out of things. Yep. It only took two months of him being in power. Two months. And all of a sudden, you can't work a government job. Yep. Fuck you. So despite this, Hedwig continued working in a small back room in the Physics Institute, fulfilling contracts for applied research. So... Polite golf claps to the people who were like, we're not going to fucking kick you out of here. This is bullshit. Like, you can't officially work here, but you can use the space. Like, we'll we'll still let you teach, but you're not going to be teaching. She wasn't teaching. She was, do- she was like, doing applied research in oh, her okay. field. So she was fulfilling contracts and getting paid for that research. So she was really using the university as an office while she was trying and to make And they were like, no, me. you can still do this. Exactly. In 1935, Hedwig was able to work for three months at the Licht Kilmastis Observatorium in Arosa, Switzerland, where she measured ultraviolet light intensity from the sun. However, this didn't result in a permanent position, and she did return to Germany. Switzerland. I know. Like, you guys are supposed to have your shit together. By 1938, Hedwig was without work or financial resources. This was especially troubling as on November 9th of the same year, Kristallnacht, or the Night of Broken Glass, occurred. For anyone who's not aware, this was a violent attack by Nazis on Jewish-owned businesses and property. With the growing violence and political hostility towards Jews, Hedwig realized that she needed to escape quickly. However, without a job or money which the Nazis were preventing her from having, she was yeah, trapped. she didn't do anywhere, go anywhere, do there's, anything. There's nothing. And just buckle up. This is going to get a lot more frustrating. I promise it turns out okay, but we're going to dive into some deep shit before it gets okay again. Okay. I'll drink some more wine then. Please do. <laughs> there were a lot of barriers to finding a job and escaping Nazi Germany for Hedwig. So many, in fact... I decided to just list them out as bullet points instead of trying to craft a narrative. That's a good... I think part of mine is, like, my legacy and my story is just bullet points. Well, I was trying to write this, and I'm like, there's just too too much. much. Yeah. So, one, 
there was a lack of university jobs due to the Great Depression. Two, though she was a well-respected physicist, she was, wasn't internationally known or a professor. Three, the fact she was foreign. Four, the fact that she was German. Five, she wasn't young. Six, she was Jewish. And number seven, everyone's favorite, she was a woman. Ooh. Everyone's favorite barrier to success right? and freedom from Lack the Nazis. Of a penis. Oh my God. Another sinister element that made it difficult for her to apply for a U.S. visa was that the United States required applicants to have held a teaching job within the last two years and have held that position for two years. If you remember, Hedwig had been barred by the Nazis from teaching since 1933. So she's trying to escape the Nazis because they won't let her teach. And of course, the gross violence against Jews and everyone else. But to escape, you other, have to be a teacher. the U.S. is asking her to do the thing the Nazis are preventing her from doing that she's trying to escape because Nazis are terrible. Like, it's this, it's this fucking cluster yeah i i can't this even wrap my head around about it. logic and that's the thing there is no logic it's like wait what it's like the whole you need 10 years of experience to get this job but we want someone right out of college right I, yeah i mean this is obviously much worse because in that situation you know you're not gonna die in her situation there's a good chance she could die <laughs> yeah and this makes me think of people trying to seek asylum today the system has not gotten that much better. No. If better at all. I mean, I, I, Kelly and I are both very fortunate. We've never been put in that position. And I can only imagine what a goddamn nightmare it is. I mean, I've had to take the U.S. citizenship test before. It's not fun. When did you have to take that? Government class. Oh. I was like. Yeah. In government class, we took it like three <laughs> people. I was one of three people that passed. Holy in shit. In our whole class. Oh, no. Na- like It's so hard. If you were born in America, you know 1% of what someone who like, has to study to become a citizen knows. Who was this number president? And I'm like, uh... Because then they put, you know, they put like all well-known presidents on the list. And I'm like, fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. What order <laughs> were they in? And I think that was another question. Like, order these presidents from... Like, who served first to who served last? And I'm like, um... Panicked, blinking. Because they're not all, like... They weren't all, like, recent presidents, you know? Like, so some of them, I'm like, crap, what was the order? Like, yeah, George Washington's gonna be first. But, like, the middle gets a little jumbled for me. For me, George Washington was first. John Adams was second. Thomas Jefferson was third. And then Abraham Lincoln was number 16. See... And Obama was 44? Question mark? 41? 41? Isn't Trump 42? I don't remember. F- okay. I'm not qualified to live here. <laughs> right. I'm not qualified well, to live here. you're only allowed to fail like two or th- like you're only allowed to not get two or three questions right. That's I understand knowing how our government works, but knowing the order of our presidents, you don't fucking need to know yeah, that. No. But that's for citizenship. <sighs> this is all frustrating. Sorry. Way no, off topic. You're fine. <laughs> For a little context as to how dangerous it was for Hedwig to remain in Nazi Germany, the Nazis began building the first concentration camps in 1933, immediately after Hedwig, or not Hedwig, Hitler came into power. Very different people. He kept it under wraps, but he started like right away. Yeah. And then so right away he becomes into power, concentration camps. Two months later, 
if you're Jewish, you can't work a government job. Yep. At first, the concentration camps primarily held political prisoners, Roma people, Jehovah's Witnesses, and gay people. Then in 1934, when Heinrich Himmler took over managing the concentration camps, another fucking gem, they cast a wider net and began imprisoning everyone, including disabled people, Serbs, Polish people, and of course, the Jews. Yeah, basically everyone who wasn't blonde and white. Yeah. Finally, in 1938, physicist Rudolf Walter Ladenberg began working to help Hedwig immigrate to the U.S. Aw. Thank God. Yeah. Way to step off. At least up, finally Rudolph. someone's like, oh, I should help this person. Well, and Rudolf had been a lecturer at Breslau. I'm still not confident in saying that word. At the university, and it actually helped direct Hedwig's doctoral research. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he knew her. He traveled to the U.S. in 1930 and became a respected physicist at Princeton University. Hmm. Rudolph worked with the International Federation of University Women and the Society for the Protection of Science and Learning to secure Hedwig a job at Aberdeen University in Scotland in 1939. Nice. Unfortunately... <laughs> before she could flee war broke out and england immediately canceled visas for all yeah, they closed like all their borders not sexy quotes enemy aliens anyone yeah yeah they wouldn't help anyone from germany germany or any other nazi-run country which i think at that time might have been also poland poland was the first one that they invaded so so this kind of sounds familiar to policies that have been tried to pass that Here? people try to like, pass today Trump was like hey People from these countries can't come. And it's It so didn't last very long because everyone was like, the fuck are you doing? But it happened. Well, and whenever there's um, an incident involving people from a certain country, it's like, no, we can't have any of those people coming here. It's right. like, well, what about the innocent people who it's affecting the most because they're right in the thick of it? Right. Like, they what, can't get out. Yeah. And it's not their fault. They're not doing anything except for living their lives. Exactly. After this, there was an exchange of 70 letters between Hedwig, Rudolph, other prominent physicists, representatives of the American Association of University Women, and more as they tried to secure Hedwig a way out of Nazi Germany. Can you imagine trying to coordinate this shit before email? I was going to say, letters. 70 fucking Cross letters. Atlantic, right? Yeah, because Rudolph is in the United States. Like, and it looks sounds like most people are in the United States except for Hedwig. Yeah. And it's like, do you know how long that would take to get there, especially in a wartime? So slow, so frustrating. And like when you send an email, there can be glitches and maybe someone doesn't get your email, but you're going to know right away. If right. a letter doesn't make it, you're not going to know. You're never going to fucking know. You're just like, oh, the person never responded. All right. It was so much easier to ghost someone back then. Right. <laughs> Oh, I didn't get your letter. My bad. OMG. Oh, oh I changed addresses. No, I don't have a permanent one yet. <laughs> I gotta go. I died. <laughs> <laughs> Together, they were finally able to secure Hedwig three consecutive one-year positions at the Women's College of the University of North Carolina, Sweetbriar College in Virginia, and Wellesley College in Massachusetts. So she had moving up the three <laughs> one-year jobs. Yeah. This allowed her to secure a U.S. visa by way of a visa to Switzerland in July of 1940. I suppose because Switzerland was neutral, so... Yeah, and I didn't quite understand that. But basically, she 
first had to go to Switzerland. Maybe it's because or because Sweden. they weren't. Oh, I'm okay. sorry, Sweden. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they were more like out of the war because I think they remained neutral until they got invaded. Well, I think it was because she had to get out of Nazi Germany exactly. immediately. And so okay, we're going to so get you here. We're going to get you somewhere, and then we'll get you to where you need to go. Right. So she she left immediately. Yep. She got the fuck out of there. Had Hedwig stayed in Nazi Germany, she would have certainly been killed. Only a year after she fled to Sweden, her only brother, Judge Kurt Cohn, was deported to Kovno in November of 1941 and murdered. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, for That's anyone thinking she would have been okay... It's like, clearly she wouldn't have been. She was in danger. Everyone was in fucking danger. This was not okay, and she needed to get the hell out. Though out of Nazi Germany, Hedwig's troubles were not over. She still had to get from Stockholm, Sweden, to Greensboro, North Carolina. The only thing that separated her from the U.S. was a war-torn Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of shit going on. Oh, yeah. It was not it was, a fun it was bad. time. <laughs> Travel by ship was not, not a good fun. Idea. No Neither by air, actually. Like, there was really no, like, safe... Atlantic travel right Just then. hunker down in your basements and pray. Yeah. Now my next section. Finally in the United States. After a two-month journey, Hedwig was finally able to make it to the United States in January of 1941. But she had become extremely ill on her journey. Oh, I'm sure. After like a two-month recovery. Or no, that was her journey. She took some time to recover because she was extremely ill. Uh, she started teaching at the Women's College of the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. And she stayed there for a year and a half. She was described as having a persistent optimism and good humor, which is shocking considering all the bullshit right? she went through. Like, that's great. Yeah, I mean, good for her. I wouldn't. I would have been such a, like, a crotchety bitch. Yeah, I would have been like, the world is fucked. I would <laughs> and we're been, all fucked. I would have been speaking in like erotic suicide memes, just like, yeah. life's a bitch and then you die. Right. <laughs> now let's learn about physics and how everything is a lie. <laughs> That's what physics is, right? That's a good run. Thank you. I didn't even try. It just happened. It just happened. It's my wine brain. All natural. The following year, she moved to the next university, Wellesley College in Massachusetts. There, she established a research laboratory for flame spectroscopy. I was going to include what that was, but it was super science-y. So, if you know what it is, thumbs up to if you. If you want to know what it is, there's the Google. Do the Google. She was well-regarded at Wellesley and even won a college research award. She ended up staying there until her retirement in 1952. So she never went to the third college. They were just like, we're keeping you. We love you. Come here, honey. We got you. After her retirement, she was awarded a pension and the title of Professor Emerita by the government of the Federal Republic of Germany. This is a title given to female professors who retire with honorable standing, and they get to maintain the title of professor even after retirement. That's awesome. Yeah. And this is so amazing to me because Hedwig's journey to professorship had been completely halted by the Nazis so long ago. And for Germany to give her this yeah, honor. to come back and be like, no, you deserve this. And to recognize her. I'm like, good. You fucking better. Right. Like, I want to give you props, but this is what you should do. <laughs> you shouldn't get props for doing what you're supposed to. Right. 
Though she retired, Hedwig was not done sciencing it the fuck up. For the next 12 years, she pursued independent research at a research as a research associate at Duke University. She had been offered the position by other notable female physicists at Duke, Professor Hertha Spooner. Sponer? S-P-O-N-E-R? I should have looked it up. And Hertha had actually been one of the physicists that had helped Hedwig get her visa to the U.S. Good. in the first place. There, cool. there was a whole list of people, and I was yeah. like, I, no one cares what the names are, but this woman comes back. And I love that because, say it with me, Empowered women, women empower, empower women. women, bitches. While at Duke, Hedwig established a research laboratory laboratory, guided two graduate students to their doctorates. <laughs> Sorry, laboratory. Laboratory? <laughs> laboratory. I'm just going to be the Swedish chef. Yeah. Everyone's skipping your section. Oh, yeah. That's okay. No one's listening to me. They're all just waiting for you. So I can say whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) So she guided two graduate students to their doctorates and recruited two postdoctoral fellows to assist her in the study of flame spectroscopy. Science. This was a continuation of the research she had been doing in the early days of her career back in Germany. This work led to a breakthrough in the framework of combustion science and plasma physics. Wow. Bitch in science, man. She continued this work until shortly before her death in 1964 when she was 77 years old. Legacy. Early in her career, Hedwig wrote 270 pages of a leading textbook called Mueller Pulitz Physics Textbook. I had the German and the English, and I copped out. I'm not doing it. You can't do the German. <laughs> Uh, She also received one patent. Her contributions from the textbook were still seen as standard introduction to the field of radiometry until the 1960s. Her doctoral thesis was still being cited through the 1970s. So work she was doing ages ago is still being cited up until the 70s, which is bonkers. She also published 14 papers. Uh, she was most recently commemorated with the Google Doodle on April fifth, two thousand nineteen, which would have been her one hundred and thirty second birthday. I also found a summary of an interview that was conducted by Thomas S. Kuhn, K U H N, with Hedwig in June of nineteen sixty two, a couple of years before she died, and I'll include the link to it in our social yeah. media. I it wasn't like a Thomas Hedwig, Thomas Hedwig kind of interview. It was just almost like a summary of what they had talked about. Okay. But it was interesting. And so if you want to read it, it's there. It's there. It'll be there for your pleasure. So that's badass babe, Hedwig Cone. Cheers, Hedwig. They're not in clinky glasses. Here, we're just going to hit them together really hard. All right. I'm scared I'm going to spill. Okay. You, You just don't move. Okay. Oh, I think I heard that. Yeah, I heard it. Clonk. Clonk. <laughs> oh. I, know, I guess it's my turn then. Well, I just want to say, I got super emotional doing my story because okay. all this shit with her yeah. trying to get out of Nazi Germany was so it's frustrating. Just it was, and it was mind numbing. And it was like the places she was seeking refuge weren't playing by the same rules as the Nazis. And it was like preventing her from getting out, even though she was clearly not that. You need to be valuable enough as a person to find safety. But she was clearly brilliant, uh, 
she was incredible. She was strong, you know. Like, she was providing she was the well science. Read. Yeah, she was a noted person, at least in her country. Like, like, she was the kind of person that anyone would have been lucky to have in their country. And even she just was not quite good enough. So think of the normal people who are seeking oh, yeah, asylum no fucking chance. and are not deemed as, like, not good enough or not worthy or they don't they're meet the not, criteria. Yeah, they're not viewed as valuable which and, is bullshit and you know what happened because i wouldn't be i would have been dead oh yeah i'd be dead and you know what happened to them they fucking died and it's it's just it's really tragic and with kind of the the surge and like acceptance of well everyone's got an opinion we need to accept it if you're a nazi your opinion is bullshit because it is rooted in hate and violence and death and you don't get to have a fucking opinion and I just pissed me off. But Hedwig, she got out and she was so devoted to her study and her but career. She stayed happy and was like, guys, I got through it. Like, let's learn. Like, yeah. Jesus. Well, that's amazing. All she fucking wanted to do was research was and physics. study. She and just she... wanted to do physics. No one wants to do physics. It's so hard. <laughs> So just Hedwig, honey, I love you. We love you. Now I'm done. I'm going to get off my Bechdel box and I we're good. don't want to do mine now because mine's like a little depressing, but not like Nazi Germany depressing. She got out though. I know, she but didn't still like yours die. was like this big momentous and I'm like. <laughs> Every woman's story is worth remembering, even if it doesn't have Nazis in it. Actually, I want more stories without Nazis. I'm fucking sick Mine of those is like bastards. Other famous people in the story. Okay, bring it on. So I'm doing um, Carolyn Herschel, which you may have heard of the name Herschel before. Her brother was William Herschel, the guy who discovered Uranus, and her He's nephew. He's never seen my Uranus, <laughs> or no, my anus. Fuck, um, I fucked that joke up. <laughs> and her nephew was John Herschel, who did like he like discovered he made the blueprint. He was like into photography physics astronomy like he was into a whole bunch of shit they're both really famous but this isn't about them it's more about about, hey she was also incredible where the fuck is she exactly so carolyn herschel who is dubbed the 18th century cinderella of science Mm. so i think i found our the second half of our episode title (laughs) um born carolyn lucretia herschel in Germany on March 16th, 1750. Yeah, I finally got my partner through time here. That is 241 years before I was born. Oh my god, and also in Germany. Yeah, I know. Synergy. <laughs> so, so I finally I finally got <laughs> someone on my birthday. Oh my god. That I'm, wasn't their death date. I'm so proud of you. Yes. And that was unplanned. Like, I was just, I picked her and then I was like, oh, she was born on my birthday. You know how when, like, sometimes you adopt an animal, they choose you? I think sometimes the women we cover choose Choose us. us. They reach through history and they're like, Emily, Kelly, tell my story. about me. And drink tons of wine. (laughs) All right. So she was the eighth child and fourth daughter of Isaac Herschel, uh, who is a self-taught oboist, and his wife, Anna Ilse Mortison. Two of the the two other daughters did die, so they only ended up with two daughters in the end. That's sad. Yeah. Um, her father encouraged her education, but her mother wanted to keep her at home as a lifelong servant. Oh, So Carolyn God. had a very difficult childhood. When she was three, she had smallpox, and so she got really scarred from that. 
And then at 10, typhus stunted her growth at 130 centimeters, which is four foot three inches. Oh, my God. She's my short sister. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She also suffered a little bit of vision loss in her left eye as a result of that illness as well. Just a heads up. This is why you vaccinate your fucking kids. Yes. Her family assumed that she would never marry, and her mother felt it was best to train her as a house servant rather than becoming educated in accordance with the father's wishes. Her father took advantage of when the mother would leave to te- to tutor her individually or put her in lessons with her their her brothers. This is one of those rare situations where it seems like the woman's running the show, right? And the dad's like, "Well, when she's gone, we'll like." Yeah, we'll build you up intellectually um, in secret, but when she's here, oh, I can't do anything. Right? Um, she was also Carolyn was also briefly allowed to learn dressmaking and needlework from a neighbor. Were her they efforts, mice? What were they? Mice and birds? No. <laughs> her efforts, however, were stymied by long hours of household chores, and to prevent her from becoming a governess and earning her independence, she was forbidden from learning French or more advanced needlework than what she could pick up from the neighbors. Her mother is a psycho. Yeah. She is deeply broken. I hate her. Yeah. So when she was 22, um, her father died and her brothers, William, the famous one, and Alexander, who I don't really know about, <laughs> um, rescued her. They are uh, they bargained slash argued with their mother and invited her, uh, Carolyn, to come live with them in Bath, England. So she Thank mo- God. She moved away from her mother at 22 years of age. Um, At that time, William was a professional musician whose hobby was astronomy. Um, Caroline did not blend in with the local society when she moved there. Um, She made a few friends, and but was finally able to indulge her desire to learn and took regular singing, English, and arithmetic lessons from her brother and dance lessons from a local teacher. She also learned to play the harpsichord and eventually became an integral part in William's musical performances. That's pretty That's cool. That's awesome. Yep. She became the principal singer at his oratorio concerts and acquired such a reputation as a vocalist that she was offered an engagement for the Birmingham Festival after a performance of Handel's Messiah on April 1778, where she was the first soloist. So she's going from being four foot three. I mean, she's still four foot three. Well, but... she's four foot three, scarred by disease, kept as a essential slave by her mother and now she's being recognized for stuff in front of tons of people and being recognized for her talent that's amazing yep um she did decline to sing for any conductor however except for william and after the the um being the first soloist her career as a singer began began to decline and Carolyn was subsequently replaced as a performer by a distinguished soloist from outside of the area because her brother wished to spend less time in rehearsals and focus on astronomy. And this is the one that found Uranus, yep. right? Okay. Well, at least it I paid know. off. At least he's not like, oh, I'm just looking at stars and right. dicking around with my telescope. And we all know what that means. <laughs> when William became increasingly interested in astronomy, transforming himself from a musician to an astronomer, Carolyn again supported his efforts. From the She's, womb to the tomb. Right. She said She said in one of her bo- notebooks, somewhat bitterly, or no, in her memoir, somewhat bitterly, quote, I did nothing for my brother but what a well-trained puppy dog would have done. That is to say, I did what he commanded me, end mm. quote. Ultimately, though, she did end up becoming interested in astronomy and actually ended up enjoying her work. Um, 
At this time, William started to build his own telescopes from lenses he had ground, unhappy with the quality of lenses he was able to purchase himself. And Carolyn would feed to him and read him as read to him as he worked, despite her desire to burnish her career as a professional singer. So that's why her career kind of went downhill, is because she's like, no, I have to support my brother and his endeavors and take care of him, basically. This sucks. Because Probably because of how she was raised. I was going to say, she's just doing the same thing she was doing for her mother and i'm sure she feels in debt because oh you got me away from my mother right our mother who's a total fucking psycho because those you when you grow up in a toxic environment like that you adopt certain behaviors and habits and they're really hard to break even when you get away from that person so she's like if i serve someone i'm doing something good and this is like all i really know yep this is sad yeah William did become known for his work on the high-performance telescopes, and Carolyn found herself supporting his efforts. She spent many hours polishing mirrors and mounting telescopes telescopes in order to maximize the amount of light captured. She learned to copy astronomical... Astronomical. 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 (laughs) I was like, I know how to pronounce this word, I promise. Astronomical catalogs and other publications that William had borrowed. So basically, William would borrow these books, and she would copy the stuff they needed okay um she also learned to record reduce and organize her brother's astronomical observations and she recognized that this work demanded speed precision and accuracy so she's like his research assistant basically but she's a little bitter about it yeah okay she became a significant astronomer in her own right as a result of her collaboration with her brother the herschels moved in march of 1781 to to a different house when they're Milnery business failed. I didn't. They literally didn't mention a millinery business at any point except for this sentence. So I'm guessing that's that was the business her mother and father must have owned. Okay. Um. And Carolyn had to go and guard the leftover stock from being stolen on the 13th of March, which was the night that William discovered the planet Uranus. What the yeah. actual? So she was fuck. Not there, and I'm sure she was like, "God damn it!" What the actual fuck? Yeah. Initially, I know this is kind of a side note, William initially (laughs) mistook Uranus for a comet, comet. Um, but his discovery proved the superiority of this new telescope that he was using, that he had built. So, And that she had helped him make. Yep. Um, They did give, they were still occasionally giving musical performances, but they gave their last musical performance in 1782 when her brother accepted the private office of court astronomer for King George III. Good for him. You know, they had court astronomers. Carolyn was asked to move from the high culture of Bath to the relative backwater of Datchet in in 1782 when her brother moved. Datchet kind of sounds like a backwater town. Sorry if you're from Datchet, um, but like, Yeah, it's a small town near Windsor Castle where William would be on hand to entertain the royal guests when the king needed him. He presumed that Carolyn would be his assistant, and initially she didn't really accept the role. She was unhappy with the co- the accommodations they had taken. The house they rented um, for three years had a leaky ceiling, and Carolyn described it as, quote, the ruins of a place, end quote. She was also aghast at the prices in the city and the fact that their domestic servant was imprisoned for theft at the time of her arrival. So she's living in a drippy, shitty shack. And the only person around to help them out with shit is in jail. Yep. And they're in bumfuck nowhere. Yep. Super duper. Yep. (laughs) While William worked on a catalog of 3,000 stars, studied double stars, and attempted to discover the cause of Mira's and Algol's variability, 
Don't know what those are. Science. Carolyn was asked to sweep the sky, meticulously moving through the sky in strips to search for interesting objects. She was unhappy with this task at the beginning of her work, longing for the culture of Bath and feeling isolated and lonely, but gradually developed a love for it. At least she was... You know, actually, I'm not going to silver lining this no. because it's a shitty situation <laughs> right. and the fact that she found some joy in it is accidental. Yep. It has nothing to do with like, oh, And it was probably more just like, I have nothing else to do. I might as well enjoy what I am doing. Maybe I'll find someone else's anus. Right. Who knows? <laughs> It'll be my anus, not your anus. <laughs> our anus. <laughs> oh, you called it our anus. <laughs> On the 28th of August, 1782, Carolyn initiated her first record book. She inscribed the first three opening pages uh, as, the first page was, this is what I, I call the bills and records of my comets. The second page was comments and, le- comets and letters. And the last one was books of observation. This, along with two subsequent books, currently belong to the Herschel Trove at the Royal Astro- Astronomical Society. That's a fucking hard word. Yes. Um, and surprisingly, um, Carolyn was doing all this work for her brother and now herself. She was able to make these complex mathematical calculations of their observations, even though she hadn't learned her multiplication tables. Holy shit. She's doing all this shit with the minor education that her dad was able to give her while she was living at home. Yeah. Her like bootleg education when her mother was out at the store. That's crazy. Well, she just, she was so absorbed in it. I'm sure she just kind of figured it out. Yeah. That's still amazing. Yeah. Um, I still can't multiply. I know. Did I tell you um, I was modeling one time and I was having a hard time keeping my brain focused and like making the time pass. Yeah. So I started doing my time tables. Oh, Jesus. And one of the artists who I know, she's like, are you doing okay? Because you just seemed really intense during that pose. And I told her I was doing my times tables. And I was like, I was probably just trying to think of what the fuck is seven times 12 <laughs> And so she titled that drawing seven times 12 because <laughs> I'm just sitting there squinting, like trying to count in my head and funny. I cannot keep it straight. And it was terrible. That's hilarious. So she doesn't even know multiplication. She's like complex math. Yeah, right. Maybe it's easier that way. Uh, well, because you see the value in exactly. it. Exactly. You're figuring it out yourself. Oh, well, I need to do this to get this because I want this. Exactly. Fuck math. Fuck math. <laughs> Um, on the 26th of February, 1783, Carolyn made her first discovery. She found a nebula that was not included in the Messier catalog, which at the time was like the catalog of everything they had found in space. Um, and that same night, she independently discovered Messier 110, which is the second companion of the Andromeda galaxy. That's pretty sweet. So yep. was this a galaxy that she a discovered? Nebula. Oh, a nebula. Yep. Okay. So she discovered it, though. Yep, she discovered it. Fuck Uranus. Yep. She discovered this. <laughs> exactly. Um, William, William, of course, then began to search for nebulae himself, sensing that there were many discoveries to be made, and Carolyn was regulated to a ladder on William's 20-foot reflector, attempting impossible measurements of double stars. I'm getting a little pissed at William. I know. Sensing there were discoveries to be made. I know, like, that way he to just push your sister aside. Yeah, that he doesn't want his sister to make. Right. Fuck you, William. William quickly realized his method of searching for nebulae was inefficient and required an assistant to keep records. Naturally, he turned to Carolyn. In her, in one of her books, she wrote, quote, But it is not till the last two months of the same year before I felt the least encouragement for spending the starlit nights on a grass plot covered in dew or hoarfrost without a human being near enough to be within call. So Did it's you like say hoarfrost? hoarfrost. That's a thing. H-O-A-R. 
Or oh, pressed. I'm like, what the hell? Um, what so basically, she's mean? like, I've been doing all this stuff without any encouragement. And finally, my brother's like, hey, I need your help doing this. So you should do this. This is that whole behind every great man bullshit. Yeah. And I hate it. I mean, not that William probably will. I mean, obviously, he did a whole bunch of shit. But like. So, like, some of his stuff was because of his sister. Yeah, because he's giving her all the bitch work. Right. Fuck him. In the summer of 1783, William finished building a comet-searching telescope for Carolyn. Okay. All right. Finally, we're getting there. We're taking some positive steps, William. Make me proud. (laughs) (laughs) She began using it immediately. Beginning in October 1783, the Herschels, together, used a 20-foot-long reflecting telescope to search for nebulae. Um, initially, well, oh, I already did that. Blah, blah, blah. Because it was the whole he couldn't do it by himself and asked her to do it. Okay. Um, so she Wait, was... Wait, so he built her a telescope to do his bitch work? No. She built her a telescope to look for comets, and then they were still looking for the nebulae. Okay. So it's two separate things. Um, so while... Once he turned to Carolyn, what she would do is she sat by a window inside, and William would shout his observations, and Carolyn would record them. I see you shiny. However, this was not a simple clerical task, however, because she would have to use John Flamsteed's catalog to identify the star William used as a reference point for the nebula. So basically, he would be looking at the sky and be like, okay, 90 degrees and this much distance from this star that we know is this nebula that we may not. Okay. You and know. she had to like So she had to figure in. out what he was talking about and where it actually was. Oh my God. There's an app now. It's like Google Sky where oh, yeah, you, can you can point your like, phone yeah. at the stars and it tells you what everything yeah, is. Exactly. Um however, because Flamsteed's catalog was organized by constellations, it was less helpful to the to how they were doing it. So Carolyn created her own catalog organized by North Polar distance instead. Um, and the following, the, so the following morning after every, like a, after they did this, cause this was like a nightly thing, obviously she would go over her notes and write up her formal observations, which she called minding the heavens. Ooh, that's so she, cute. So she rewrote how to like search for stars to make it easier for them. And then she would write everything up the next morning. That's very appropriate since we're drinking lost angel wine, right? minding the heavens minding and looking heavens. for lost angels and nebulae. So Carolyn finally discovered her first comet on the 1st of August, 1786. She would subsequently find seven more. Holy shit. Um, That's my favorite number. Five of her comets were published in the Philosophical Transactions, a a packet of paper bearing the superscription, this is what I call the bills and receipts of my comets, which is what she used to call it. Aww. Um, That's so cute. And it contains some data connected with her discovery of each of these objects. At one point after... Sorry. Carolyn found her comet. William was summoned to Windsor Castle to demonstrate Carolyn's comet to the royal family. William recorded this phenomenon himself, terming it, quote, my sister's comet. Good. I know, I'm like, the, I when I first started waiting. reading it, I'm like, if he claims credit for this, I'm going to be pissed. I was but fucking no, waiting for he it. He totally gave her the credit. We're taking good steps, William. Keep going. Um, Carolyn Herschel is often credited to, as the first woman to discover a comet. However... Maria Kirch dis- discovered a comet in the early 1700s, but is often overlooked because at the time the discovery was attributed to her husband. Fucking. Gottfried Kirch. And she's a. actually on my list in like two weeks to do her. Okay. But We're that's come our 10th episode, so I might, she might end up being three weeks because I might try and find someone like extra special for our 
tenth episode. We'll see. Full thing. Two hands. Yay. Two hands. Um, throughout her writings, Carolyn repeatedly made it clear that she desired to earn an independent wage on her own and be able to support herself. In 1787, after discovering her comet, she was granted an annual salary of 50 euros, which is equivalent to 6,200 6, in 2019. Is that a month? Yes. A- oh! No, annual. Oh. Annual salary. Oh. But it's just her. So, like, $6,000 a year? Yeah. Euros. Well. 6,200 euros a year. That's still not enough to live on no. today. But. Even if it's just you. You don't even get a cat. Right? <laughs> so she was granted this by George III for her work as William's assistant. I'm making my annoyed face because I'm like, no, she discovered her own shit. She's not just an assistant, but whatever. I was going to say, I would say colleague, associate. Right. right. Assistant, my ass. Carolyn's appointment by George III made her the first woman in England honored with an official government position. That's still pretty cool. And the first woman to be paid for her work in astronomy. Oh, shit. And Everyone else was, is doing it for this, free. This was at a time when even men were rarely, rarely received wages for scientific enterprises. That's, so that's awesome. Cool. Um, and it was the first money that Carolyn had ever owned in her own right. Or ever earned in her own right. Oh, Carolyn. Because remember, her mom wouldn't let her, like, do anything. Yeah, because her mom's a psycho, and her brother is just kind of, like, keeping her around to do his bitch work. Yeah. In 1788, William married a rich widow named Mary Pitt, and the union caused tension in the brother- brother-sister relationship. Carolyn had been referred to, has been referred to as bitter... A bitter, jealous woman who worshipped her brother and resented those who invaded their domestic lives. In his book, however, The Age of Wonder, Richard Holmes is more sympathetic to Carolyn's position, noting that the changes the changes were in many respects negative for Carolyn. With the arrival of William's wife, Carolyn lost her managerial and social responsibilities in the household and her accompanying status. Yeah, because there can be only one. <laughs> right. She also moved out of the house, probably because it's like, uh, I'm the woman of the house now. We don't need you. Yeah, well, this um, is our married house. We don't want, I don't want my husband's sister hanging around. Right. So she moved to external lodgings and then would have to return daily to work with her brother. Um, she also no longer was able to hold the keys to the observatory and workroom where she had done much of her work. Why? Yep. Does the um, wife have it? Probably, the because it's her, because it's her household. Oh, fucking whatever. Um, however, because Carolyn destroyed her journals from 19- 1788 to 1798, her feelings about this per- period are not entirely known. I feel like destroying her journals <laughs> from that time yeah. make her feelings very <laughs> right? clear. Um, there were some threats. Yeah, there was obviously something going on. There was um, something that she needed to fucking burn. <laughs> Um, she wrote a letter to to the Astronomer Royal to announce the discovery of her second comet. I couldn't find a date. All the other comets are like da- comets that she finds are dated, except for her second one. It just says, oh, she wrote to someone about it. Maybe it accidentally got burned right? with her bitter journals. The third comet was discovered on the 7th of January, 1790, and the fourth one on the 17th of April, 1790. She announced both of these to Sir Joseph Banks. And all were discovered with her 1783 telescope that her brother built her. My sister's telescope. Right. In 1791, Carolyn began to use a new nine-inch telescope for her comet searching and discovered three more comets with this instrument. Um, Her fifth one was discovered on the 15th of December, 1791. 
and the sixth one was the 7th of October, 1795. Carolyn wrote in her journal during this time, quoting, My brother wrote an account of it to Sir J. Banks, Dr. Maskelyne, and to several astronomical course correspondents, end quote. So that was her for her fifth comment, is her brother wrote to all these important people about it, which is cool. Good, good for him. He's continuing to right? take some positive steps. I'm proud of you, William. Two years later, her eighth and last comment was dis- comet was discovered on the 6th of August, 1797. Um, and that's the only comet she discovered without optical aid. She just saw it? She just saw it. Hey, what's that shit up yeah. there? She announced this discovery again by sending a letter to Banks. So she um, found eight comets? This is our one, eighth episode. It sounded like one was like rediscovering something that had been discovered in the past. But they, maybe they didn't know if it was actually exactly. real. So she so was confirming was cool. it was real. Yeah. She found the Loch Ness Monster of Comets. Exactly. Um, so in 1797, William's observations began to show a great many discrepancies in the star catalog published by John Flamsteed. I love that last name. Flamsteed. Um, which was difficult to use because it had been published in two volumes, the catalog proper and a volume of original observations, and it contained many errors. William realizes that he needed a proper cross-index to properly explore these differences and was reluctant to vote to devote the time and his at the expense of his more interesting astronomical activities. He therefore recommended Carolyn or to Carolyn, that she should undertake the task. Oh, my God. This ultimately took her 20 months to complete. Holy shit. The resulting catalog of nebulae and clusters of stars was published by the Royal Society in 1798 and contained an index of every observation of every star made by Flamsteed, a list of errata, which I'm guessing are errors, and a list of more than 560 stars that had not been included. So she did all that work. That's a lot of fucking stars. And then in 1825, she donated the works of Flamsteed, and I'm assuming the additions she made to the Royal Academy in Gottingen. I don't know, it has two dots above the I. I don't remember what that means. Gottingen? G-O-T-T-I-N-G-E-N. With the O has two dots above it. Gottingen. Yeah. Sorry to anyone who lives there. Um... In 1802, the Royal Society published Carolyn's Catalog in its Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society A. That's what it says. The Royal Society A. Under Were William's they Canadian? Name. Under. So they published her catalog. I'm ignoring that because I'm angry. <laughs> Kelly's they published... giving me the deadpan. I fucking hate you. Shut the fuck up, face. <laughs> but they published her catalog under his name. Oh, I got... You got caught what? up in your Canadian joke. I did. Yeah, no, it says the Royal Society published Carolyn's catalog under William's name. I fucking knew it. I, I knew that was going to happen. God fucking damn it. At least we know the truth. We know the truth. Um, William, suck an egg. So this catalog listed around 500 new nebulae and clusters to the already known 2,000. Good for her, not him. Um, her brother died in 1822. And Carolyn was grief-stricken and moved back to Hanover, Germany, where she, had, I think, originally lived with her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and she continued her astron- astro- astronomical studies. <laughs> Jesus. Why drink, is that word, like... Drink for every time we can't say that word. Yeah. And you will get wasted. Um, to verify and confirm William's findings. So even after he died, like, she's verifying his findings to make sure he was right. She's continuing the work. Yeah. However, her observations were hampered by the ar- architecture in Hanover, and she spent most of her time working on a catalog. 
So toward the end of her Carolyn's life, she arranged two and a half thousand nebulae and star clusters into zones of similar polar distances so that her nephew, John Herschel, who's also Soup's famous, which I, men I mentioned in the beginning, could re-examine them systematically. The list was eventually enlarged and renamed the New General Catalog, which many non-stellar objects are still identified today by their their NGC, the New General Catalog number. Oh wow! So, so she people are still using like, it. Whole catalog. Because remember when she was helping her brother pinpoint things, they were like, "No, we can't go by constellations. We should go by their polar distance." So then she went back and wrote this whole catalog. I mean, she did it to help her nephew, but, like, she still did it. But she's rewriting how we find stars and identify yeah. them, and then in relation to objects that we don't know about yet. Yeah, which is amazing. Holy shit. And all by hand. My hand is, like, cramping thinking about that. <laughs> there was no voice to no. text shit. No, this was all handwritten. With I, a quill, I, can, I bet. Yeah. So much ink. Um, Carolyn added her finally final entry to her her observing book on the 31st of January 1824. So this is her her eighth comet about the great comet of 1832. That's what she wrote about. Is that what the musical's about? Which had already been discovered on the 29th of December 1823. So that was her her confirmation yeah. comet. Yep. Okay. Throughout the twilight of her life, Carolyn remained physically active and healthy and regularly socialized with other scientific luminaries. She spent her last years writing her memoirs and lamenting her body's limitations, which kept her from making any more original discoveries. And your brother. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> it wasn't just your body, honey. Sorry, not sorry. Your brother was kind of a dick who took advantage of you. That was That's kind of a complex relationship because yeah. I don't think he hated her. No, I think he loved her and I think they were very close, but I think he kind of probably was influenced because i mean he did teach her things yeah but he was probably influenced by the mother's thinking and she was more than willing to do it yeah I, he took advantage of her and i don't think it was malicious no but... it may not have even been intentional yeah but she was clearly there was resentment there on God, her part definitely. i want a movie about that that's I such know. an interesting relationship dynamic to explore right so in 1846, at the age of 96, she was awarded a gold medal for science by the King of Prussia, conveyed to her by Alexander von Humboldt, quote, in recognition of the valuable services rendered to astronomy by you as the fellow worker, worker of your immortal brother, Sir William Herschel, by discoveries, observations, and laborious calculations, end quote. Good. I'm hey, glad they call her a fellow worker. Although it makes me mad that in this sentence, it's fellow worker of your immortal brother. Yeah, I love, it. like, they're honoring her and the brother's still, like, stealing her spot. yeah. Yeah. Carolyn Herschel, Herschel died peacefully in Hanover on the 9th of January, 1848. She was 98 years old. Damn. She is buried in Hanover at the cemetery of the Garten Gay Miend. G-A-R-T-E-N-G-E-M-E-I-N-D-E. -E -E. Garden something. Gar Garten G. Mien. That's what we're going with. Okay. Next to her parents and with a lock of William's hair. Her tombstone inscription reads, The eyes of her who is glorified here below turned to the starry heavens. She was a lost angel, Kelly. Yeah. Fucking Carolyn. I we're, love we're her. We're not done yet. Oh. Now we have... Her legacy. Legacy. So, 
Her legacy. In 1828, the Royal Astronomical Society. I just need to slow down with that word. The Royal Astronomical Society presented her with their gold medal for her work. No no woman would be awarded this again until 1996. When Vera Rubin got it. I don't know who that is either. We're going to have to cover her. Yeah, right. So yeah, so she got the first ever gold medal for a woman. In 1828, so that's over a hundred years later. That's a hundred and sixty. If you know six? how many years it is, please email I think us. It's 166 years later. That's, that's cool. That's insane. It's kind of crazy that, like, I refuse to like, believe there were no women who were making astronomical contributions. In over a hundred years. So the fact that it took until the 90s for another woman to win that award is kind of insane to me. Right. So with her brother, over the course of their careers, she discovered over 2,000, wow, 2,400 astronomical objects over 20 years. Holy shit. So like the two of them combined, you know, with him shouting stuff to her. I don't know. Yeah. The asteroid 281 Lucretia, discovered in 1888, was named after Carolyn's second given name, because her name was Carolyn Lucretia. Herschel. Oh, that's right. So she has a asteroid named after her, and the crater C. Herschel on the moon is also named after her. Oh, Yeah. I didn't know that. Is that one we can... Is which I wonder it which one that is. which side it's on. Oh, I, I know, because the, other one, the other one that has an, uh, one named after her that we've talked about is on the dark side of the moon. So we don't get to see that one. Damn. Um, Adrian Rich's 1968 poem, Planetarium, celebrates Carolyn Herschel's life and scientific achievements. The artwork of the dinner party, which celebrates historical women who have made extraordinary contributions, features a place setting for her. I, I've never heard of this work of art, and I need to go find it. We're going to put it on the blog, yeah, because I'm angry I've never heard of that work of art. Yeah. Um, Google honored her with a Google Doodle on her 266th birthday, March 16th, 2016. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So I'll have to go find that. She was honored, like I said, by the King of Prussia. She was also honored by the Royal Astronomical Society. They're just throwing all the honor on her. Right. Um, which I mentioned the Astronomical Society for was one of the ones I fucked up on. But they, but they said it was for her, quote, recent... Re- Reduction to January, which doesn't make any sense. Recent reduction to January 1800 of the 2,500 nebulae discovered by her illustrious brother, which may be considered as the completion of a series of exhortations probably unparalleled either in magnitude or importance in the annals of astronomical labor. It's because I want to say astronomy. Yep. So I start saying astronomy, but it's astronomical. And it's it sucks because if you just screw up the first part, yeah, you can't back up. I mean, you can't be astronomical. Yeah. So basically, the gold medal that she got was like, "Hey, you helped your brother." Yeah. Why who's, is he getting who's credit? Who's this illustrious person? What? Even when she's getting recognized, yeah, I know. But your oh brother. Jesus. I mean, you were like your brother adjacent, right? and that's pretty cool. So they gave her the gold medal, which I mentioned, but they also elected her as an honorary member in 1835, along with Mary Somerville, and they were the first women members of the Royal Astronom- 
astronomical society jesus i'm never i'm never gonna do an astronomer ever again (laughs) um she was also elected as an honorary member of the royal irish academy in dublin good you know she's getting recognition do you think she has the stamp of approval from whining about herstory yes whining about herstory stamp of approval do you think the other woman who was honorarily inducted was she alive to like enjoy the honor and bask in it a little probably not I can look it up. I, you know, Carolyn was alive. Oh, I thought that was after she died. Nope, 18, okay, eighteen thirty-five. Okay, I'm fine with that then. So she got her she got her gold medal in eighteen twenty-eight, which she would have been seventy-eight years old at the time. And she got she became the honorary member in eighteen thirty-five. So. 80-something, I think. So I was just going to start bitching about how it's great that we honor So I would people. assume they were both alive. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure. Because I was just going to start bitching about how we honor people, like, after they're dead. And I'm like, well, they're not even around to appreciate it. But right. I'm glad she was. Yeah. It was after her brother was dead. So he couldn't steal it from her. Yeah. He couldn't He couldn't. He be couldn't like, go in and be like, no, no, she doesn't deserve to be an honor- honorary member. She was just my assistant. I built I mean, her fucking telescope. He did some good things for her, like, and he did help her, but it annoys me that other people, and he didn't stand up for it, you know, like, it annoys me that other people were like, oh, no, it was William, and he's just like, yeah, sure. But that that's our episode. God, this was a bit of a downer. Yeah. I mean, like... I mean, they both did amazing things, and they came out, like, really good for both women in the end. But, like, it's like, Jesus! Yeah, there was just a you lot of so much shit. And for Carolyn, it was almost like some of her victories were tainted, because she's getting recognized for helping your illustrious brother, your immortal Get brother. Get immortal like, William fucking, Herschel. Jesus well, clearly Christ. he's not, because he's fucking dead. <laughs> he died, Okay. <laughs> He's dead. He's never coming back. That's funny. We definitely need a thanks this week. Would you like me to start? No, it's my turn to start. Um, I would like to thank both my family and my in-laws. Um, we've kind of been having a rough week and they've been there for us. And it's just been amazing the support we've been feeling. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm thankful for them. It's been really nice. I'm really and glad. It sounds like my brother-in-law and sister-in-law may be here. So if you can hear that, you know. I'm not just saying this to be like, oh, no, no, no. They can hear me. No. It's like, familial I genuinely joy, mean it. guys. Get with the program. It's for pure joy and thankfulness. Yeah. So if you're not on board with that, fuck off. <laughs> I'm like really aggressive. Yeah, you're kind of aggressive tonight. I'm very feisty tonight. And I, it's, it's the acidic like wine that said it would keep you on your toes. And Emily's just like, fuck yeah, mama toes. Yeah, damn straight. I'm in a, dre- a flower dress. Yeah, she looks and I'm beautiful. like, I'm going to fucking punch a bitch right now. Felt like a butterfly sting like a bee, motherfucker. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's your turn. Okay, so. <laughs> to bring down the mood. <laughs> your turn. So I've also had kind of a rough week. It. But I'm thankful because one, it ended on kind of a high note. I did take a half. this? Well, this, obviously. (laughs) This is like a cascade of good things I'm ending my week on. Um, 
I got to take a half day today and my boyfriend's mom came into town and we went out to lunch and we had a dessert flight. So she's not looking cute for me. She's looking cute to still impress the boyfriend's mom, even though it's been like two years. Don't pretend that you don't appreciate it. I do. No, you look, (laughs) you look gorgeous. Honestly, I dressed up cute because one, like when we went out to lunch, I want to feel cute and nice, but two. Makes you feel better. I just. I needed to feel good today and I needed to get through the day and I there was a fire at work that I had to put out and I felt like I handled it very well so that was a really good feeling because I've just felt like the biggest fuck up like I can't keep anything straight I can't do anything right hey so at least you didn't mess up saying astrological a whole bunch of times do you mean astronomical (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna go hide in a corner god damn I love you but, you know, that was really nice. I'm also thankful. So I don't think I told you this. Jared's dad was in the hospital today. Aww. He was um, having some issues. He's home now. He's doing well. Good. Um, nothing serious. But so I'm really thankful he's okay. Yeah. Because Jared told me and I was like. Oh, yeah. It's just a terrible thing to hear. Because you don't you know. never know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm really Jinx. thankful he's doing okay. And I'm thankful for good company and good wine. Yes, this was very good wine. I would recommend it. Oh, yeah. I might have. I don't know why this was in the discount because this stuff is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's 2016. So maybe they have like a newer vintage. Yeah. Apparently whites are not. You're not supposed to like let them age a whole ton. Unlike reds, which you can age. Indefinitely. Like, apparently whites don't eat. I don't know. I don't know wine very well, but I know I heard that somewhere. I mean, you clearly know it better than I do because I had never heard of that. You're so. like. Meh. Why? So, cheers to being thankful. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just totally, totally missed. Oh, wait. Oh, you got to look at the elbow. Okay, one, two, three. Clonk. <laughs> it splashed everywhere. There's nothing in there. A little bit splashed on the chair. You can see I it can behind see me. It. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, please email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Tell us about the incredible women in your life. Tell us about women you'd like to hear on the show or just hit us up and yeah, talk to hi. us. We love We're you. Uh, check out our blog, whiningabouthistory.com. We always post just little summaries of the women we do, put some pictures up. Um, we'll eventually finish our about page. Oh, shit. Really, we, we just need to add that. pictures of ourselves. So you just need to send me which pictures you want, Emily. I'll do and that. And I'll get that done. And then our Instagram handle is WHA. W-A-H pod. Yes. Whining about her story. W-A-H pod. And then uh, you can find us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. And just keep in touch. Yeah, come and interact. We, lo- we love you. Please rate us and review us wherever you listen. It really helps us out. If you want to support us without spending any money, that's how to do it. Yeah. Although we may one day have a Patreon. And then if you want to support us with money... You know, we'll be happy with that, too. I'm not going to say no. Yeah, we're not going to be like, uh, no. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We love you. We love you. And please have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.